0: This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, howdy, Bridgeway. It's great to see you. It's great to be back together with you. I want to add my words of welcome to those of you here as well as those of you who have joined us online. It is just great to be together, and I'm excited to kick off this brand new series. For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the power of prayer. Prayer. And i got to say, this is so important. In fact, I want to jump right in this morning. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis, easiest book in the Bible to find. It's the first one. And we're going to be in chapter 18 this morning. As you're finding your way to Genesis 18, I'll give you a little bit of an insight as to where we're going. In fact, um, many of you know that as leadership of this church, we've been kind of sensing this prodding from God to go in this direction of clarity for the next 10 years. We're calling it our 10-year vision at Bridgeway, and there are a number of components that God wants us to accomplish, but there are two core initiatives that we are starting with, and those are the initiatives of discipleship and of serving. And in discipleship, what we mean by that is learning to be like Jesus, being a student of Jesus, figuring out what it is that he taught, and then serving the second half of that, actually going out and doing the kind of things that Jesus did, actually rolling up our sleeves and saying, I'm going to do the work that God requires and that God needs in our world today. Discipleship and serving. These two kind of go hand in hand. They're sort of like peanut butter and chocolate. They just work really, really well Together And prayer becomes the gateway in which we begin this study. And I'm really excited to do this because I think prayer now more than ever is so needed. And I want you to come into the series. I have have one goal, and that is uh, I hope that you can go on this journey with me. And by that, I feel like God has really been kind of stirring in me something different when it comes to the whole idea of prayer. In fact, what I would hate for you to do is to come here every week in this series and just feel like you're just learning, I don't know, another skill, right? Like, oh, great, thanks, Pastor. Now I've got kind of this new tool in my spiritual toolbox. I'm learning how to pray. What I really hope is that you come to this topic and, and we do something that the Scriptures really ask us to do, that we, we come to the Scriptures like a child. I'll tell you what God's been saying to me. He's been saying, forget everything you know about prayer. And really come with this fresh and eager insight to hear my voice, to hear from me. That's my goal and my hope for our church. And I I tell you that discipleship in this area of prayer is, as I said, so needed. In fact, no matter how you look at the church today, in fact, there's been a number of reports. One of the most recent reports done was the State of Theology. And it was a look at uh, kind of the church around the world, but mostly in North America. And this area of discipleship is at an all-time low, no matter however you measure it. In fact, even just looking at just some of the kind of the top-level results would say that most people, most Christians, don't even believe in a conversational relationship with God. More than 50% of Christians don't even believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So we have a lot of work to do, and I'm eager to begin that with you. But let me just start with this idea of prayer, and let me kind of get the obvious out on the table. Some of you, you hear the word prayer, and you're kind of like, oh. ugh, <laughs> like, oh, that's disappointing, right? I mean, you see the topic of prayer, and you're like, I don't want to pray. Because you hear the word prayer, and it's sort of, I don't know, maybe it's guilt-inducing. You hear prayer, and you think, I know I should do that, but I really don't know how to do that. And, and it's got the potential to get messy, right? Like, if I start praying, and I become a person of prayer, then, well, Every Thanksgiving and every birthday party, I'm going to be the one that they ask to pray, right? And you kind of get that anxiety already building in the thought. Maybe when it's the topic of prayer, you start thinking, well, I don't know. I mean, like, prayer is kind of like, you know, off the deep end with God. And maybe you've seen or witnessed some things. You're like, yeah, I don't want to do that again. Or maybe, maybe just the topic of prayer is like, I don't want it to be, like, boring. Like, I don't want to be sitting around in a circle praying for Aunt Beth's cat that has asthma. Like, I just don't want to go there. And, and it just kind of just turns you off. I don't know what it is about the topic of prayer. But for some reason, rather than compel us, oftentimes we see this and it sort of repels us. In fact, I, I never look at our analytics. I don't even know how our Facebook page works. But something on my phone popped up this week about our post. We always kind of put a post out there about the new sermon series. And, and this, this one got my attention on my phone because it said, this series needs a boost. You ever see that on Facebook? Like, this series has gotten less engagement than other series that you've posted, Bridgeway. It needs a boost. There's something about it that, that just kind of has this feel to it of why, why do we push it away? Some of you are here this morning. You're saying, well, come on, Pastor. Can't we, can't we talk about something more relevant? Can't we talk about kind of current events and hot topics and, and maybe Christians in politics? And can't we talk about something more important? and i want to as your pastor kind of put the stake in the ground and say that this is the most important the most relevant thing that we could learn to learn to do and then actually live it out in our lives. and so this morning what i want to do is i want to just answer one question about prayer. it's the question i probably get asked the most as a pastor and the question goes something like this. does prayer even work? And let me just say, if that's you this morning, if you're here and you've got kind of a real bend towards maybe the skeptical side of spirituality, I want to tell you that I, I respect your question. Because think about it. People have been praying for thousands of years, they've been on their knees, they've been driving down the road in their cars, and you might ask the question: to what end? I mean, what good has it actually done? I mean, sort of from a business perspective, what's my what's my return on investment? If I'm going to invest time in prayer, what's going to happen? I mean, do I stand any chance of moving the needle with God? I mean, is, does He even care? Does He even hear my prayer? Like i got to tell you, it's a good question. And I want to approach this from kind of more of a, I want to break this down for you really from three perspectives. i want to give you the answer to this question of how prayer works. I want to give it to you from three perspectives. I want to first look at it from kind of a theological perspective ideal? Like, what does it mean constructively when we pray to God? How does God deal with that? Where is that coming from? And then secondly, I want to look at it from kind of in light of the cross. You could say from a relational standpoint, what happens? Does prayer work? Like, what happens not only in this vertical relationship with God, but this horizontal relationship when I pray for others? You could call this a relational answer, or maybe you could say this is a missional answer, So does prayer work? And then finally, I want to end with kind of a real practical way of looking at prayer. In fact, no matter what I teach or say up here, there's going to become a point where you're going to have to actually test this question yourself. Does prayer work? And I want to give you some real practical ways in which you can begin to do that. So you ready to go? You ready to dive in? Like three of you. All right, I love it. That's good. Genesis chapter 18. Let me set this up for you a little bit because this is one of the most most bizarre, strange chapters in the entire Bible. In fact, in chapter 18, you meet a man named Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Y'all know the song. You know how it goes. And this is before he's become this father of the great nation of Israel. And he's very old. In fact, he's a centenarian. He's over 100 years old, and his wife Sarah is 100. and, And they're beyond this point in their minds of having a child, let alone being this this great leadership of the family of God, the Israelites, and, and they get visited. Abraham's sitting in his tent, and up to the tent come three men come knocking on his door. And you need to know that in the Middle East, especially in that day, but even today, hospitality is a really big thing. In fact, how well you entertain and welcome people into your home kind of speaks to how well-ordered your heart and your life is. And so Abraham knows what to do. He invites these three visitors in. He prepares this huge spread meal for them, and they begin to converse. And over the course of the meal, it becomes apparent that one of the guys that he's led in his tent is none other than God. He's having dinner with God. And the other two are no slouches. They're angels. And they're having this incredible conversation and meal, and then The meal ends and they get up to leave and Abraham follows them out and that's really where we're going to pick up the story because this conversation picks up and it's this uh, incredible topic about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is fed up with their evil, their atrocious, their, their horrific and God is about to wipe them off of planet earth. And Abraham begins to converse with God. He begins to plead with God and this becomes his prayer. Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 20. It says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Here's their conversation. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham kind of calls God out in this narrative. The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Now, I'll be the first to admit that this is probably not the most interesting narrative, kind of going back and forth, but it's, it's simple enough in understanding, right? I mean, there's this clear initiative from God to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham kind of steps in, and he says, well, wait a minute. What, what if you were to find 50 righteous people in this city? God, I know you would do the right thing. If you found 50 people who are in right standing with you, I mean, these are, these are people that honor you and know you. And let's just be honest, God, they're, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, they're, they're really not that bad. They're not in the casino gambling their lives away. They're, they're on the outside. They're on the street corner. God, you would do the right thing if there were 50, Right? And this is what blows my mind. I've gone to seminary. I've looked at this a number of different times. And there's something about this conversation where Abraham has this incredible influence to what? To actually get a yes out of God. I mean, think about it. Isn't that all that we want when it comes to prayer? And we want God to hear, right? That's great. But we really want him to to move. And there's a really interesting thing, like I said, I've gone to seminary and looked at this, and in seminary they have this, um, this important doctrine called the doctrine of immutability, which means that God is unchanged, he's sort of the unmoved mover, and you could argue whether God was all along looking to do this in his sovereignty, in his, you know, in his plan, but I tell you, if I just read this just simply as I did with you, it sure seems like Abraham has a lot of influence by just simply being the guy that says, you know what, I'm going to pray for these people. And I'll tell you, to me, this is very convicting, right? I mean, he just kind of goes on this role, I and he starts haggling with God. He becomes this great auctioneer, right? I mean, God, well, if I can get 50, how about 45? Sure. How about a 40? Okay. Can I get a 30? Yeah. 20? Sure. 10? Yeah, sold, right? I mean, it's just... This crazy haggling that happens. And let me just ask you, is anyone else convicted by this? I mean, Abraham doesn't take yes for an answer. I mean, think about that. So some of you are here this morning, you're like, I walked in the door, I didn't even think God really cared about my prayers. And now I'm telling you, not only does he care, but he's willing to move, and he's willing to allow you to press deeper and deeper. How many of you stop short at just one request of God? and God is just waiting on the line. I mean, Abraham's got him on the ropes, right? It seems like he'll give him anything he wants. I'll tell you, this is convicting to me. I think I've learned um, the most about my, my prayer, not through seminary or even great books that I've read, but through actually just doing it, through being around people that, that believe in the power of prayer, and there's something infectious and contagious, and and inspiring about that, in fact, um, i probably learned more over the years through the people I've prayed with. And one of those was very foundational. It was my pastor. When Sean and I first got married, we moved into this cute little home in Kalamazoo, and we we're going to this church, but we didn't even know that the pastor of the church lived in our neighborhood. And we got to know him, and Pastor Jeff would invite us over and I remember Sean and I we thought he was he and his wife Terry were just crazy. they had like four kids, and it was just constant chaos at their home and He would invite us over, and we were able to kind of just have this neighborhood house of prayer and every monday night we 'd go over to pastor jeff 's and and that sounds really intimidating going over to the pastor 's house for prayer, but it was mostly a lot of a lot of laughs and a lot of just hanging out and then and then praying, interceding for our neighborhood and the people and the causes and the issues that were so near and dear. And I remember Jeff at one point saying, um, he kind of gave me this, this hook that I've, I've really kind of held on to over the years. And, and he said that prayers are like snowflakes. Eventually you say enough of them and they sort of pile up. And they pile up to where God's got to do something about them. And I just think about that, like just one more and one more and one more to keep pushing into it. I'd be willing to say, I'll go first in this conversation. I'd be willing to say as a pastor, I don't pray like this enough. I mean, don't get me wrong, I I pray and I've shed many tears over uh, people in this church, people that have walked away from the faith, people that have gone through incredible suffering. But this, this is convicting, the way in which Abraham prays. And let me just say that I think this is the beginning. And the beginning is not like well, how good are you at negotiating with God, right? Like, can you have a really good argument and a lock-solid debate with God? Uh, It's also not like this temperature. Like, well, if I get really loud and I pick just the right words, God's gonna hear. In fact, the thing I want you to learn this morning is that this entire prayer kind of revolves around Abraham responding to God. Prayer is really this idea that it first starts as a response, that God is speaking, next slide god is speaking and there's this response that we can step into and talk to god you think about this this shouldn't be surprising god is always speaking the creator of the universe in fact you're in the book of genesis just go from genesis 18 back to genesis 1 and the entire thing gets kicked off because in the beginning god and god says let there be light he speaks and this light appears and he speaks again and the waters team and form oceans and then land and vegetation and birds of the air and flocks and all these things happen all because God speaks. See, I think the problem we have and maybe the intimidation we have is we've allowed other people to kind of hijack what prayer means. See, I think sometimes people think, well, prayer, if it's going to be it, then it's really, it, it's got to be up to me. And we approach prayer and I've seen it so many times where it becomes kind of this like, this like, passionate desire to make God move, right? And, and people will close their eyes really hard, and they'll squint, and God, you know, hear my prayer. And I just want to tell you this morning, that's not prayer. That's like spiritual constipation or something. Like, it doesn't even work that way. It's, it's being willing to step into the conversation that God is already having, that this God is already speaking. God, God it's, it's not like saying this prayer that, oh, God, I... I hope you're out there somewhere, right? I mean, that's hopeless. That's nihilistic, right? Instead, it's the reality that God is always speaking, and we can tune our ears in to what he is saying. Let me ask it to you this way. I won't ask for a show of hands, but do you ever eavesdrop? I actually had someone in the first service come up to me and say, Pastor, I don't eavesdrop. I people watch. So however you want to define it. You ever eavesdrop? You know, no, not me, pastor. I'm busy when that table over there is, is talking about something so interesting. No, no, I'm, I'm eating my meal, not paying attention. Well, what if we actually began to view prayer as an opportunity to eavesdrop on what God is speaking? And we realize that he's already speaking things that we can tune our ears into. This is maybe the beginning, but what's so incredible about Abraham is he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. In fact, he's He's very deep theologically. You kind of have to kind of pull the hood off this and take out all the parts, but he's actually very theological. In fact, what Abraham is doing is he's demonstrating what he knows about God. He's saying two things. He's saying two things about God. He knows that God is a God of justice, while at the same time, God is a God of incredible grace, and you hear this in the prayer. This is the dialogue that's going back and forth. God, God I know you're a God of, of justice. If there was 50 righteous people, you would do something for them. You would protect them. While at the same time, a God of incredible grace, God, you're, you're a God of second and third and fourth chances. And because he knows this, he has this confidence to just keep pressing conversation forward he pushes over and over no no god god your justice means it's not 50 it's 45 it's 40 it's 30 he continues to press into this and the more you know who god really is this god of incredible justice and grace and mercy the more confidently you can begin to pray and your prayers can look a lot less like a grocery list of needs that you have I mean, this isn't Abraham coming to God. God, I got this vending machine, and if I just I put the right amount in and I push the right buttons, then you'll give me what I want. He's deep theologically pressing in to who God is. But as I said, prayer is also highly relational. It's highly missional. Now, there's a relationship that Abraham has with God, but let me ask you this. Who is Abraham praying for? Not himself. He's praying for two cities that are filled with Evil. I mean, I shudder to even tell you this. I mean, unimaginable evil in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is praying for them. In fact, you should read Genesis chapter 19. I mean, it is disturbing at a whole nother level. In fact, I'll just give you the cliff notes. There's two visitors that go down to the city, and everyone in town is watching these two visitors. They go into a home for safety. And all the men of the town come and knock on the door and say, we saw the visitors go into your house. Send them out so that we can rape them. Gulp. And the owner of the home says, no, 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 these are my guests. Because I told you, hospitality is a really big thing in that day. And he says, no, no, these are my guests. But you can have my daughters. I mean, that's how evil this place is. And Abraham is praying for them, for mercy. Let me ask you this, who, who, could you, who could you not imagine praying for? I, I mean, who's the person that, like, nope, they're not on my list, they're not deserving. Abraham challenges the idea of who you think is different and who you think is worthy of God's love and God's reach. And Abraham is kind of putting his entire life on the line. Some of you, if you know this story, you know that in the city is, is Abraham's uncle, Lot. His name is Lot. And some critics of this story would say, well, the whole story is just self-serving. Abraham's trying to move God because his uncle Lot is there and he has, he has wives and he has you know, nieces and nephews in the city. But wouldn't that be an entirely different prayer? I mean, that'd be the prayer like, God, I know you hate these cities. Spare my uncle Lot. He doesn't pray that prayer. I mean, that would be an entirely different prayer. Instead, He prays a prayer that puts his entire life, right? God, I'm humble. I, I know I'm dust and ashes. You could smoke me in a moment with that city. But he intercedes on their behalf. This is our opportunity in this series to pray for other people. The series is titled, I'll Pray for You for a Reason. And so as I said, I wanted to be also very practical because no matter what I say, no matter how many sermons we preach in this series, The whole idea idea of prayer working requires that you actually go to prayer. And so I want to give you just some practical things that you can begin to do and challenge you to begin to uh, ignite your prayer life. Four things. First thing I would say is very simply keep a prayer journal. (laughs) Some of you might laugh at this, like, a journal? Really? That sounds so corny. I haven't I haven't written a note in a journal since eighth grade, right? You know, like, it seems so so different. But in fact, this is an opportunity for you to organize your thoughts, to organize the conversation that God is having, to just simply write some things down. And I'll tell you, it can be as simple as you'd like. Now, I'll tell you, over the years, I've I've been one to journal, and I've been able to write down lots of like long-form prayers and thoughts and things that I've felt God call me into in life, and, and those have been treasured like like just little love notes to God. While at the same time, my, my prayer life now and my prayer journal now kind of reflects more of like these just real simple bullets, people I'm praying for and things and needs and issues in our world today. Sometimes in my journal, it's just a word and scribbled and circled and and I know what that means because I know what God has spoken to me through it. And so you can make it as simple or, or as, as complex as you would like. In fact, a lot of people ask me, well, where do I begin? I would say, well, just simply buy a journal. Go to the store, get a paper journal and a pen, and just go for it. Just start writing down. And, and I think that's one way. Another way is a lot of times um, I've kind of trans- transitioned my prayer journal to, uh, to just a note on my phone. Phone is always with me, and so I can put a note in there. It's secure, it's safe, and and I can keep track of prayer requests. So many prayer requests in our church that happen, as well as just things and needs that I that I see. And 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 you can just begin to do that. What do you write in there? Well, write down whatever someone tells you. I mean, I get asked all the time, "Hey, pray for me for this. Pray for me for that." Or I'll see something on the news, or something kind of going on in our world, and I'll just jot that down. Uh, in fact, um. I'm really excited because uh, this next week I get to go see my son Bryson, he's been in the Air Force, he's in boot camp right now, and he's finally graduating after eight weeks, and And, and I think about that because we haven't had hardly any contact with Bryson for these eight weeks, he's, he's written us, we've written him, I think we've had like three phone calls that are like ten minutes long, and in the background you can hear some drill sergeant say, time's up, and Bryson will say, I gotta go by, you know, he hangs up the phone real quick, and we finally get to see him. And, He's been at kind of the the top of my prayer list, and so I can't wait to see just what God's been doing in his life. That really leads to the next idea. Not only keep a journal, but then be bold and start asking people, how can I pray for you? I mean, that's why the series is titled, I'll Pray For You, is to actually say, I'm going to move outside of my circle and begin to be missional, relational with my prayers, and you can start close to home. You can start with whatever is safe. Maybe that's your spouse, or as I just said, praying for my kids, or, or people that are close to you. Maybe you kind of go out a circle, and you say, well, who's in, my, who's in my small group that needs prayer? Or who's in my office that needs prayer? Who's in my school or my classroom that needs prayer? And you just begin to push outside of those comfort zones. These aren't man-on-the-street interviews. These aren't people that you don't know. These are people that you, you know and you care about. And so you just simply express that by saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And if they ask, why? What do you, why believe in prayer? And, and I want to take this seriously, and I, I want to take my time with God seriously, and so how can I pray for you? Just simply ask them, because it's not about you. Third idea, third way in which you can begin to this journey is to join us for our prayer night's On Tuesdays this month in October at 6 p.m., we're going to have what I'm calling some old-fashioned prayer nights right here at the church, and they're just an opportunity for us as a community to gather together and pray. And it's going to be just, like I said, old-fashioned, like just gathering together and praying. We're not going to have lights and worship and sermons, none of that. In fact, we're not even going to meet in this room. We're probably going to meet in the square or out in the lobby or outside if it's a nice night. And these are just our opportunities as a church to say, I'll pray for you. How can I pray for you? And so you can come to that. We're going to have staff here. The elders are going to be here on these nights. You can bring a prayer request that you have. You can show up, and if you don't want to, like, speak or pray out loud, you don't have to. You could just simply join us, be united as one heart and one mind in prayer. Um, But you can join us, and if you don't have a specific prayer request there is a lot that we can pray for. We can pray for our nation. We can pray for its leaders. We've got an upcoming election cycle. We have so many things that we can pray for as a community and as a church. So come and join us on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Finally, last thought, last challenge for you is when you go to God in prayer, ask God for really big things. I want to tell you, this is the time that we need our prayers more than ever. So ask boldly. Come before the throne of grace with confidence. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, pester God. Don't take yes for an answer. Like, lean into whatever it is you need. Appeal to his justice. Appeal to his grace. And just go for it with God. You know the oddest thing about this story? And I've been thinking about this all week. It's like Abraham is this fighter, and he's got God on the ropes, right? But he stopped short. I can't for the life of me understand why Abraham didn't come back with one more prayer, right? I mean, he's auctioning down. And why didn't he just say, God, if there's just one righteous person, save the city. And Abraham never asked that prayer. seems like God could have answered it. He was on a roll. But Abraham never asks. And God never answers that prayer. But I want to tell you this morning that there is only one who is Righteous. And there is one, and his name is Jesus, and he did come, and Abraham points us to Jesus. Abraham risked his life in prayer, but Jesus gave his life in prayer. Abraham prayed for the city that wanted to kill him, but Jesus prayed for a city that ultimately did. Abraham asked for God not to be angry with him, and Jesus said, I'll take all the wrath and all the punishment for all of mankind. That's the hope and the promise that we have in Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you in this moment to enter into the prayer and the conversation that God is already having in the depths of your soul. I want to say, too, that as we begin this series, the best thing you could do is to invite Jesus into your heart. To make him the Lord and Savior of your life. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, we know that you are here because you are everywhere. And rather than try to accommodate or try to say the right things, we actually this morning just want to hear from you. We want to listen really, really well and tune our ears to what you may be speaking into the depths of our souls. And I do pray, God, for anyone here just feeling that tug, feeling that in this moment, they want to reach out to the God that they've never accepted, that in this moment, you can do that. You can just simply invite Jesus in by offering this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. And that's not all that you and Jesus need to talk about, but that's a great place to start. Jesus, I give you my life. I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your justice and your grace. And I believe that you came for me. So now I commit my life to following you. God, I pray that you would go before us in this series, go before every single one of us and speak into the depths of who we are. We sing to you and we worship you now. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.